Hope you have your scripture journals with you, or if not, a scripture journal, an app that's open, or your Bible that's open. They do those in print now, I've discovered. So if you want to grab that, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 again. But to get us warmed up and to get us ready to go, let's play a little game. This is a fully interactive part. Feel free, if you're watching on the live stream, to shout at your screen um, if it makes you feel better. Clichés are little bits of wisdoms and kind of truisms that we have. And so I've gathered just a few of very classic ones, and I've pulled a line or two or a word or two out and left a blank. So what I'll do is I'll read it, and then you can shout out the answer and feel really smart. See how that works? My only request is, let me get to the blank, okay? I know you know the answer, okay? These are not hard. This is not, this is not a trick deal. So here we go. Here's the first one. Burn the candle at? Both ends. Very well. Number two is this. Till the? The cows come home. Is there a more Texas cliche that we could come up with? Till the I don't know what you do when the cows come home. But when they do, that's when it all happens. A bird in the hand is worth. Just sounds messy either way to me. Here's this one. Once in a blue. This one will probably become real when we experience the eclipse coming up in April. So the whole craziness that will go around that one. Here's the last one, I believe. You have to see it too. You have to see it to believe it. Now, I'm going to pause on that one because I think there's a lot of truth in that one. For many of us, until we actually see something, until we witness it, until you show me the proof of it. This is also akin to the one that says, seeing is believing. And we have, and rightfully so, we have a great deal of skepticism about us when you just tell me something, especially living in the world that we live in today with all kinds of information and disinformation and misinformation and all this stuff that we're trying to figure out what's true, what can you believe in, we're all resorting back to show it to me, I'll see it, you can prove it, and then I'll believe it. Hang on to that idea. Because that is at the very core of where we're going to go into Ephesians today. In fact, this idea of seeing is believing is the idea behind Ephesians. And I'm going to show you what Paul is trying to get done with us in our lives through this letter. Because for Paul, what you need to understand is, for Paul, it was very much a I have to see it to believe it reality that he lived in. Paul, the apostle, did not begin as an, a believer in Jesus. In fact, he was the exact opposite. He was a skeptic, not just a skeptic, he was a critic. Yeah, he wasn't even just a critic. He was an opponent to the church. He was an opponent to the idea of following the would-be Messiah from Nazareth. And so Paul actually set out opposed to Jesus, to begin to persecute those that were claiming to follow him, those that were claiming that he was a risen Lord, because Paul had not 
seen it yet. Well, you can read the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, in fact. It's one of the places where Paul recounts, and you hear the story, where Paul is on his way in the middle of his task of finding and rounding up and persecuting and putting on trial those that were following this Messiah, this Jesus, And he was actually trying to snuff out the church that suddenly on what's known as the road to Damascus, he encounters a bright light and then comes face to face with the risen Lord Jesus. And it changes everything for him. Paul saw it and now he believed it. And I want to show you how that translates into our scriptures today that we're going to be reading in the book of Ephesians, in this letter to Ephesians. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read out loud, and we're not going to put the words up for the first time, because as you've heard me say before, there is power in God's Word. In fact, God's words are far more important than any words that I add to it. But God's words are what's going to shape us. And so what I want to do is I want you to just hear it. But I want to encourage you to do it with your journals open. And if you want to circle a word, if something jumps out at you, if there's a, something you want to write down, I want it just you to interact with that word. Be very active in the moment. I'll read it all the way through. You jot any kind of note or make any kind of highlight in your journal that you want. And then we're going to come back and walk through it. Now... I want to remind you of one thing from last week, because this is critical, and you're going to hear me read it this way. What, many of you found some great fascination with this, Drew, but every time you see the word you, it means y'all. It's collective. It's about the church. And so that's how I'm going to read this, because that's how it's actually written, because, again, we have the singular you that can mean both singular or plural in English, but in Greek, every time you see it, it's the y'all. So if you would, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason I have heard of y'all's faith in the Lord Jesus and y'all's love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for y'all, remembering y'all in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of y'all's hearts enlightened, that y'all may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe? According to the working of His great might... That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave gave him his head over all things to the church, which is the body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I'm going to remind you, Paul writes that not from any area of comfort, but from a prison cell. And he writes these words to this church in Ephesus, these these believers. Remember, he'd spent a couple of years in Ephesus. And so he's well familiar with the culture there, with the people there, 
with what they're facing. And he launches into this, and I'm going to walk back to it, back through this now, and see what he is wanting to say to us. Because now we are in the y'all. We're included in that part. So if you would, verse 15 says this. For this reason. Now, pause. What's the reason? The reason is the, the very first part of the book, the very first part of the letter, specifically chapter, verses 3 through 14 that we looked at last week. And that's that long-running sentence. And we've got another long-running sentence here, by the way. That long-running sentence where Paul is describing that God's plan, that he had chosen a nation, and out of that nation he chosen the Messiah and the Messiah comes and is able to fulfill all the hopes. And now, by the power of what the Messiah has done, by the power of what Jesus has done, you too, you're included in that. And we're called into this. Well, he's going to pick up on those themes, but that's what he's talking about. He says, for this reason, everything he's already said up to this point now prompts him to do what he does next. Because I've heard of your faith, in the Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. So he, he knows about this church. He's heard about what they're doing. He's getting reports from them. He's probably receiving letters from them. That's very encouraging to him because, remember, he's sitting in a prison cell at this time. But now, because of what he's heard, he rejoices in the middle of this very bleak environment. And then he says... Remembering you in my prayers. Now, this is powerful. Because what we're about to see from Paul is this is what he prays for when he prays for the church. This is his prayer report. This is his prayer request. Now, I want this to shape how I pray for Western Hills. I, I am committed to praying for this church. But as I looked at this, I realized that there's some things that Paul's praying for that elevates the call that I want to be praying for. And that's what we're about to uncover. Because Paul has some very specific prayers. And once again, he's praying for these that he knows personally and loves in Ephesus. But this is also his prayer for the church, for y'all. And so he's going to unpack this. And this is a powerfully forming deal. So he launches into this. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Now, if you haven't highlighted and circled that word yet, that's the word that I want you to circle. This is going to be key to understanding everything else that happens in Ephesians. That word revelation is a critical word because it gets to what Paul is trying to address. Now, you may be surprised to learn that the actual Greek word that comes from is the Greek word apocalypse. Okay? Now, what book of the Bible, if you're familiar with church, does the word apocalypse make you think of? Revelation. Do you know why? Because that's the same word. 
Revelation and Apocalypse. Now, because of what's in Revelation, that book, and because of how we've treated the book and then how popular culture has treated that particular word and that particular book, we always assume that Revelation means something about end times or the big battle at the end or something where the demons all arrive and there's a big conflict. That's not what the word means. Now, there's images of that. I, I grant you that in Revelation, but the word means an unveiling, an uncovering, a revealing, or straight up a revelation. There is an illumination. This is why in our logo we've got the light bulb coming on. Because what Paul wants is a revelation. He wants an apocalypse for them, a revealing for them. Paul had an, a revelation on the road to Damascus. Seeing is believing. So Paul and did not believe in Jesus, was actually persecuting and opposed to Jesus. He then has an encounter where he comes face to face with Jesus. It totally reorients his world. In fact, we have several years of his ministry from that moment where he goes blind actually at the very beginning. On the road, he's made blind. Three days later, he's healed of his blindness. And if we read in Acts, it says something like scales fell from his eyes. And what that's saying to us is that Paul began to see the world in a whole new light. And it reoriented his world. There was a revelation that he experienced. Now, go back to our scripture. Paul is praying for this revelation to happen for y'all. That's what he's praying. He knows he's experienced it, and now he's praying the blessing that all the church would see the power and the presence of Jesus. Look at how his language unfolds. That in the spirit of wisdom, I want you to see something. I want you to have a revelation in the knowledge of him. And having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. See, for Paul, this is a turning on a floodlight. This is, you've got a dark front yard, and you're hearing something outside, and it's real scary to go out, and so you want to flip on all the floodlights, and so it comes pouring down. Have, have you ever been, this happened to me one time, and I'm not a huge fan of haunted houses, but I was going through a haunted house as a kid, and something, and I was just terrified. I mean, I'm talking like I'm taking my candy, my sack, of candy, and it's a weapon now. But at some point, something broke, and they had to turn all the lights on to evacuate us. I realized that what I had been scared of was nothing more than cardboard and paper mache and cheap lights, right? And, and silly effects. The illumination... The enlightening of it revealed it for what it truly was. That's what Paul is talking to this church and to us saying, I want the light to come on. That's why we're saying, I want you awake for this. Because when you see it for what it is, it changes everything inside the picture. It changes everything in the scope. So Paul's prayer... In this big, long sentence that we're in the middle of, 
is all about have a revelation. So when he prays for you, when he prays for me, when he prays for the church, he's praying, see Jesus clearly. And then he gets real specific. Watch this. This is what I call the three what's. And you'll see this word what repeated three different times. And this is his unpacking of what kind of revelation he wants us to have. So I want you to circle these, and we're going to talk about each one. And we'll keep coming back to this, to this slide. Here's what he says. First one, that you may know what, there's our cue that tells us we're going to get the first one. Okay, I'm praying for a revelation that what? That, that is the hope to which he has called you. Paul is praying that they would understand that they have a hope, and it's a hope based on a very specific reason. They have been called. Remember, for this reason, he is talking about what he said in verses 3 through 14, and there he talked about this idea of being chosen, being called, being predestined, being selected, that there's a ministry that's waiting for us. He says, you've been called. And the most powerful thing that we need to remember about that is God has always been seeking us first. We do not use the phrase, when I found God, because God was already looking for us. We had a realization, a revelation that God had been looking for us. And what Paul wants to know is you are called by God that sets you on a purpose. It is not simply that God showed up and said, I would like you to be in regular attendance at my church because I really care about attendance. He says, no, I've got a mission for you. I'm not looking just for your Sundays. I'm looking for you to understand that you are a called people sent back out into the world. And, and Paul is saying, I want you to have a revelation of that because Paul knew what it meant to be called. Because that encounter, when he had his apocalypse, when he had his revelation on the road, it suddenly transformed his entire life. And even though his future would involve beatings, imprisonments, torture, shipwreck, going without food, being a part of riots, he knew he had a mission. And nothing was going to distract him from the mission Paul's prayer is for the church to understand it is a called church, not simply some kind of country club that gathers to ensure itself, but a called church with a mission in the world. Paul is asking us to understand that the fully awake church knows and grows in its calling. The awake church knows and grows. See, Paul's going to keep praying this prayer because not just it's not just an initial knowledge, but it's every time you come around and you experience a worship and you meditate on who Jesus is and you encounter Jesus as you read your scriptures in the as you read the scriptures in your Bible. As you encourage somebody else with something that you've learned, there's this growing revelation, this growing knowledge of who Jesus is, and it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and that's what Paul's praying for you and for me.
and for this church that we've experienced that. The second what. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Paul is saying, I want you to know what the riches are of the glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul has a very specific view of God. And sometimes it's not the same as our view. Every time you see Paul start writing sentences like this and writing different letters, Paul seems to have this vision that God is standing and he has all the wealth and all the resources and all the gold and all the silver at his fingertips. And he's like a bank that knows no ends. And he is just handing out and throwing out bags of cash, if you want. And there doesn't seem to be any hesitation to it. There doesn't seem to be any limitation to it. The blessings of God are, by Paul's definition to us, endless. There's not a bottom to them. There's not a, there's not a finite structure around them. That, Paul, that God is the God that generously, recklessly lavishes on us. And Paul wants us to understand that. And there's so many of us that need to hear that. Because that's not your understanding of God. You see God more like Ebenezer Scrooge before his conversion. Where he's not even going to grant an extra piece of coal to Bob Cratchit to warm the place. That God's rather stingy with what he has. Rather limited. And God's really sitting around waiting for you to prove yourself... And then he will, maybe, if you catch him in a good mood, on the right day, give you a small blessing. See, too many of us have a scarcity mindset when it comes to God. But Paul is telling this church, I want you to come to a revelation that God is pouring out his unlimited blessings Upon you as a church. And so the awake church understands that God is a God of abundance, not a God of scarcity. A God of abundance, not a God of scarcity. So, so we, we don't need to get all frazzled when we wonder, well, how's that going to get done when it comes to some ministry or mission that we feel called to? Because if God is calling it to us, God will also equip us and he will resource it. And so as we look and God calls us to dream some bold dreams as a church, and that's part of what we're talking about in our Vision 5. As we look to make a noticeable impact in this community, in the name of the kingdom, to do things differently. Yes, We've got some dreams. We've got some big, audacious dreams. One of them includes planting a church somewhere else in North America. And we're praying for that. There's a huge question with that. Who's going to pay for it? I don't know how it's going to get paid for yet. But I believe if God's calling us to it, then we serve a God of abundance, not a God of meagerness, not a God of scarcity, not a miserly God, but a God that is rich 
in his generosity and his blessing. And I'm not just talking about his financial blessings. I'm talking about his spiritual blessings of all kinds. And so if it's people that we need, he will provide people. If it's talents and skills that we need, he will provide the talents and skills. If it's a big vision that we need, he will provide the big vision. If it's courage that we need, he'll provide the courage. He's not a God of scarcity. Final one. Going back to our verse. Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Keep this verse going. According to the working of his great might. Now, he's talked about power and might. And now he's about to give us the definition of those. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his, at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul is saying, I want you to have a revelation. I want the light to come on and understand that the power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is the same power that now is at work in you, the church. Okay, that's a good place to amen. I'm going to start giving the cues. The power that God uses to raise Jesus from the dead is the same power that is now at work in us, the church. That is the power that we have the access to. Understand the potency of that. If God can go into the tomb, and this is what we believe, just in case you may be new to this, but we believe that Christ was physically dead, had been dead in the tomb for three days, not passed out, not in a coma, that he was dead, and that God comes in and raises the lifeless body of Jesus back to life to never die again, that death was defeated in that moment. That's part of the hope that we have. And so when we look at that, because that's a scene where it seems like it's lost beyond all lost. There should not be any hope. That should be the end of the story. Drop the curtain. Everybody go away sad. But what Paul is saying is, I want you to have the understanding that the same power that God used to resurrect and animate and bring life into the lifeless body of Jesus is now the power that you have access to daily. This is why we do not believe that a single marriage is beyond hope. You may think it's dead, but we serve a God that brought the lifeless body of Jesus back to life. I think he can do a work in your marriage. You may think your relationship with your child, your adult child, died a long time ago. But God can do a work in that because there's a power available. It may look like the problems in our country are too big. They're too immense. We're never going to figure out by some people's estimation how, how one ethnic group can get along with another ethnic group. How one group that votes one way can get along with a group that votes another way. 
The power that raised Jesus' lifeless body from the dead is still at work. Our God has not stopped working miracles. We do not need to put our hope in what the next election is going to bring. Because I guarantee you, I don't care who wins, it ain't bringing salvation. We'll find something else to be stressed out on the other side of it, I promise. But the power that brought the lifeless body of Jesus back to life. Now there's a place to put the hope. So the fully awake church realizes, the awake church realizes and relies on resurrection power. We do not rely on us being so smart. We don't rely on us being perfect. We don't rely on us being well-funded. We don't rely on us having all the answers. We're going to go tackle problems that God is leading us to and trying to be a presence in the hands and feet of Jesus, not because we're special, because there's a power that does not come from us that is at work in us and through us. And Paul is praying that we would come to see that. He wants that light turned on so that we would see Jesus that way. Remember, the world desperately needs a church that is fully awake. Will we be that church? That's what Paul is praying. That's what I'm praying for us. And I invite you into that prayer as well. I'm going to leave you with a question. And I encourage you to journal this if you want to spend some time with God's Word in your book. Here's the question. What keeps you from seeing Jesus? What keeps you from having this revelation of who Jesus is? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray like Paul prays that we would see Jesus. Father, I pray that our hearts would be enlightened, that the light would be turned on and we would see Jesus because it seems so often in my life, Father, I've got him way too small, way too confined, way too limited. Paul, would, Father, would you let us have an experience like Paul did that totally reoriented his world? And would you help us to see maybe clearly for the first time and would you help us to see in a deeper, ever-growing and expanding way that every day we're seeing Jesus more and more and more clearly. And then we begin to live out of that. Father, I pray. Pray for any place that we've tried to limit your resurrection power in our lives. That you would give us the courage to see you at work. To see what you could possibly do when we turn a situation over to you. So Father, let us come with open hands. Not trying to control it by our power, but relying fully on yours. Father, help us to see that Christ is in us. And that's more than enough. It's the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of the one that did walk out of the tomb.
and is now seated at your right hand, above all and in all, the head of the church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.